Here's what's coming up on this week's show. Honestly, it's not about you and it's not about your competitors. It's about the transformation. How valuable does your audience see that transformation? And how well and confident are you at positioning it? The Beat. Welcome to the Big Little Business Show, the podcast that helps small business think big. Hey, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Big Little Business Show. It's Paul Mumford over here, the lovely Claire Horsley over there, and I can't believe what you're going to do this week. Why? (laughs) Well, I mean, for those of you who haven't met Claire before, uh, in the nicest possible way, Claire, she is a bit of a princess. She likes to make sure she's looking her best at every uh, opportunity. I try. Uh, You don't strike me as the person... Uh, I would immediately think of to be sleeping in a tent in a field. But everyone says that. Everyone says that, and it's not reassuring me. Um, I'm going to embrace it. Um, I'm going to enjoy the fresh air. All right. And I'm going to get take lots of clothes with me. I'm going to take all my onesies, all my duvets, and um, lots of umbrellas, I think. I went camping once, and I, I use the word once uh, quite strongly. We went on the Isle of Wight. You're not helping. We went... You're not helping. <laughs> we went to the Isle of Wight. Uh, it rained all week. It was miserable. But yeah, I'm sure you'll love it. I'm sure you'll love it. You'll have a great time. Well, thank you so much. I feel so reassured now. And uh, yes, I, I look forward to sharing my experiences when I get back. Before we go any further, I think it's uh, good to say thank you very much to all the people who have been listening. Uh, we're now listened to in several countries. Uh, UK, obviously, United States, Canada, Australia, Ireland, Belgium. Uh, Germany's picking us up as well. Uh, so if you're listening to us from a different country... Hi, and uh, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, we hope you're getting some interesting stuff out of uh, uh, all the guests we've got on. Because obviously some of the guests we've got uh, are very much aimed at the UK market. But um, I'm sure there's some crossover too. Yes, amazing. So what we're going to be talking about this week? Oh, okay. How to close a sale. How to close a sale. Certainly in the UK, we are a little bit sensitive and perhaps a little bit shy when it comes to asking for money, wouldn't you think? I agree, actually. Yeah, I agree. I think it. we're, we're quite tentative. I think, and uh, don't want to sort of, you know, upset anyone. Yeah, it's like an embarrassing subject, isn't it? It's like the big elephant in the room. You're there for a sales... If you're, like, having a call with someone and uh, at some point the the conversation is going to come around to money and it's almost like you... A lot of people just don't like to talk about it. But, you know, that's that's how, that's why you're running a business. Yeah, exactly. And sales are kind of important. Yeah, it's really important. Oh, who are we going to be talking to about this? Hayley Rowe lives in Chicago or just on the outskirts of Chicago. Uh, she's a sales coach. She uh, coaches coaches. Uh, so in particular, people who are in the service industry. And uh, she's got some great tactics, not only to uh, set up a sales funnel, but work a sales funnel, exactly what a sales funnel is. And most importantly, how to get people to sign on the dotted line. This is the Big Little Business Show. I started out in the wellness industry and I was selling fitness DVDs, doing health coaching, things like that. And that was kind of my first entrepreneurial experience. And I really enjoyed it. I loved business. I loved sales. And I had a lot of fun with marketing and, you know, just all the different skills you start to dabble in when you're trying to do your own thing. And um, I ended up studying entrepreneurship in school, getting an MBA in that. And I realized that um, after college, I wanted to combine the two passions. So I started working for wellness startups and I worked in business development and marketing for those teams and realized that 
a lot of coaches, a lot of online entrepreneurs, health professionals, et cetera, who want to have their own business don't necessarily get the framework on how to market themselves and do sales and, and all of that from their certification programs. And so I became passionate about helping people with um, their marketing and sales and combining kind of my two passions, wellness and, uh, and business. And so now what I do, I'm a strategist and coach for coaches, online wellness professionals, health coaches, and I work with them on booking more clients online and their online sales and marketing. And I also have a, most recently, um, I've expanded into a marketing agency. So I do different services like Instagram growth and uh, lead generation and things like that for authors, coaches, consultants, people like that. It's interesting you said that about the fitness industry and the health industry in the US. And <clears throat> excuse me, how you don't get uh, you don't get any coaching in business skills and marketing in the US when you uh, you qualify, and that's exactly the same in the UK. And there is a huge fallout in the fitness industry in the UK. You're usually after about three years. If you've got beyond that point, you've done really, really well. But the people who tend to get beyond that point uh, know how to run a business. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's really what allows you to take your hobby to a business is learning those skills. And a lot of people want to just put themselves out there and post on social media and hope for the best. But that's doesn't work. So you have to come in with a strategy and know the principles. Yeah. And of course, and it changes all the time, doesn't it? I think it becomes more complicated as time goes on. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of things have gotten easier as far as just the opportunities we have available to us in the online world. But there, there's so much information out there. And, and that I do think is complicated. People hear, oh, and you, you need to be on Twitter. You need to be on TikTok. You need to have this a complex email funnel and all, all these things all at once and people get overwhelmed or they jump from thing to thing or they think they tried something a couple times and so therefore it doesn't work rather than sticking to one thing, refining it, fine tuning it, like doubling down on what actually works. <laughs> so I think that that's really key. So uh, we're going to talk about something um, which I think is a pretty sensitive topic. Haley today, which is selling because people don't like to talk about it, do they? No, it is. It is really um, a word that people sometimes feel icky about. Why do you think that is? Because I think the process of, of going from discovery to sale has changed quite a lot in the last sort of 10 years or so. And perhaps maybe 10, maybe a little bit further away than that. Uh, the, the process was a bit more direct. Whereas now it's all about building a relationship and building trust before people put their money in their put, put their hands in their pockets, isn't it? Totally. I mean, if you want to make your job easy, when it comes to sales, all the stuff that happens beforehand with your content marketing, your connection, you know, pre-qualification systems that you have, um, things like that, they're going to be really important if you want to, um, you know, not go in cold and feel like you have to convince someone, which is never a good thing. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a little while. We'll put a pin in that for now because I want to come back and talk a little bit about uh, funnels and, and how they work. And just going back to that whole sales thing and about you were saying about people feel a bit icky about it, which is a great word. Why do you think people are nervous of it? Do you think it's because people perhaps are too focused on the marketing or they're unprepared or they're just scared to talk about money? Or do you think it's maybe a bit of all those? I think the reason people fear sales is because they're thinking about it from 
their point of view, meaning they're thinking about, I'm asking this person for money. I'm convincing someone versus really what sales is, is a partnership and it's you solving someone's problems. So you're going to have to work, right? So obviously there's an energy exchange for a sale. So it's not weird. It's not bad. Um, it's what, don't you want to solve people's problems and don't you want to help people? And you have to be able to sell to be able to do that. So I think it's really important to, um, if you're afraid of sales, just start seeing it for, first of all, not attaching to, oh, you know, it costs this much and I'm asking somebody for money, but instead seeing it as I have a Band-Aid or I have a solution for somebody who has a problem or a wound, it's your duty to offer that if it's a fit. Yeah, I like that. That's a, a good analogy, a good way of looking at it. Because you're dealing with the service industry and you're dealing with uh, coaches and people who offer something that's not a physical thing, it's a, it's a service. I find that a lot of people who enter that kind of uh, business do it because they have a real passion for it. And when you have a real passion for something, and I know myself uh, as a video marketer, I love making videos for people to the point where I love it so much. When I started out doing it, I was quite happy to do it for nothing or do it like really cheaply because I love it so much. Now, is this kind of a problem that you come across when you're coaching coaching uh, coaches? Yes. You know, I think what you're pointing at is sometimes they feel guilty for charging for something that they love. Totally right. Yeah. I think that if you want to keep doing what you love and what you're made to be doing, and you want to spend more time doing that, you have to be able to sustain yourself and, and you know, to keep your craft, you, you need to be getting paid for it. Otherwise, you're going to have to go find another job. You're going to have very little time for your passion. It's not going to be as good quality because you're like, you know, just tired, right? So I think, um, yes, it's a good idea to do something you're really good at. And usually what we're passionate about is something that we're really good at and make a career out of it that's the best way to go and there shouldn't be guilt associated with that because that's your gift that's what you're good at and that's how you can provide transformation for other people well that's the ideal situation isn't it i see so many people go through their life doing things they hate just so they can get a good pension and you can fail at something you don't like it was a very very famous quote by jim carrey who said uh talking about his dad and his dad failed at uh being an accountant when he really wanted to be a comedian and and uh, Jim Carrey said, well, look, you know, my dad taught me that you can fail at things you don't love. So you might as well try something you love. Yeah. Either way, you're going to have discomfort. Either way, you're going to have parts of your job that you don't love. Yep. You know, you're going to face rejection. So exactly. Why not do something that you're happy with? So when it comes to selling a service then, Haley, do you think people struggle working out what to charge? Yes. I think a lot of people don't have a criteria for how to price something, meaning they're just like, oh, I don't know. I think maybe, you know, $3,000 sounds pretty good. And they just pluck something out of the air. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. So what I always say when it comes to pricing is there's a couple couple of things. One is you got to know your audience um, and what, you know, range. And now here's the thing, though. Anytime you create value and position an offer properly, it really, they are, their answer during market research about what they would pay for something is not super accurate because they're always going to short sell it. They're always going to say, oh, like I'd pay $20 for that when really 
if the value was there, if they knew it would solve their problem, they would pay a lot more. Mm. So, but at the same time, you have to know your audience as far as, am I targeting seven figure entrepreneurs? Am I targeting students? Because that's going to just logically be important when pricing your offer. The second thing is thinking about um, what you feel confident charging. And I always say for new business owners, you want it to be somewhere where you feel like, oh my gosh, I have to rise to the occasion. This is so exciting. And you, you, on the bottom level, it, it needs to be enough to the point where you don't feel like, oh my God, I resent this client. I'm like working so hard for this and I'm being underpaid. So you need to pick a, a level that is kind of right a sweet spot of, oh my God, I'm excited to do this work. I'm going to rise to the occasion. I'm, give them the, I'm going to give them the best experience possible. Um, so that's another thing. And then the third thing is thinking about, there's a lot that plays a role in your pricing. It's, it's your brand as far as how, are you a luxury brand? Are you a Gucci? Are you one of a kind? What, what makes you different? I highly recommend having like at least two or three offers that are kind of work with each other to prolong the lifetime value of a customer. Um, so maybe you have a baby offer that gets them a quick win and some progress. And then they go into your core offer. That's like, you know, right in the middle and gets them even more support. And then maybe you have a big law offer that once they get reach a certain point of success, there's something else for them. So that's another piece. Um, but yeah, so overall, I mean, I just think you need to have some criteria and, and perhaps even doing a test group or something like that at a discounted price um, to get an understanding of like, what does this truly deliver? What do people like about it, et cetera? And one more thing I would say, and I'm sorry I'm taking a long time to answer this. No, th this is great. You go for it because you're pulling out some great stuff out of the bag here. Okay, is positioning your offer. So in other words, if you want to sell something for the, the regular price is $3,000. Okay, cool. Make sure that that's positioned properly. So in other words, offer a bigger offer and the $3,000 offer, knowing that they'll probably take the $3,000 offer or offer the $3,000 with a bonus that comes with it. And if they don't sign up within a certain time period, then the price goes up to a different amount. So you just have to position it. It needs to be attractive to the ideal client. Yeah, I like, I like that. But what about, uh, what about looking at your competition? Is that a wise thing to do? Would you recommend looking at what other people are charging and base what you charge on that? Or, or would you sort of persuade people not to do that? That's a really good question. I... I'm not sure how I feel about it because yes, I do pay attention a little bit to how much have I paid for a coach and what did I get out of that and what I paid again and what was the value. And so I have looked at um, just other coaches and things like that. And, and I think it's important to just not be delusional. You know, like if you're not Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins charges like $250,000 for one session or something crazy like that. So if you're not him and you're not at that level, like, come on now, let's let's get real. That's not going to be what you're charging. So I, that's important. Like just don't be delusional, but at the same time, honestly, it comes, it all depends. It's not about you and it's not about your competitors. It's about the transformation. How valuable does your audience see that transformation and how well and confident are you at positioning it and 
doing your sales and marketing. Yeah, that's a really good point you've raised there because I think while it's important to have one eye on your competition, I think perhaps people might pay too much attention on their competition and not think about their clients or their potential clients perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. And there will always be somebody that buys something at a certain level. So it depends on, do I want to make this offer like super exclusive and be okay with the fact that my, you know, not a ton of people are going to buy this every week? Or do I want more clients and, and, you know, a lower price point? Yes, exactly right. Do you think it's a good uh, opportunity to perhaps offer a service that is got a particular shelf life or something that perhaps might be never ending or perhaps a bit of both? Or does it depend on the on, on what type of coaching you're doing, I guess? Yeah, I think it depends on the service. So I'm I'm all about like, I think it's really smart in your business to have something that can lead to recurring monthly revenue. So if that's a monthly membership, if that's um, you launch a group course every three months, and each three months you're building up the wait list for that. And, and then maybe they go on a maintenance thing afterwards. So it's a monthly thing. Like I, I do think it's very important to, to somehow have something in your offer that's a monthly recurring revenue source. And that's why in my business, I was like, you know what? I have this amazing team and I've always wanted to, I, I love being able to provide results for people, not just the coaching and strategy. Like if I could just do it for them, great. So that's why I brought in the marketing services because that's more of a recurring revenue stream for me. Mm. But then at the same time, it works really nicely with my coaching because once they're done with coaching and they need to scale and they're making more money in their business and they need to outsource, it's like the perfect match, you know? So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all about monthly recurring revenue, but at the same time having a higher ticket offer, that's maybe a one-time thing, but maybe it gets them to the point where either they go into something that's bigger or, um, or monthly membership or something or maintenance um, so that you just don't lose people. But at some point, every business I feel has like a, a point where their customer lifetime value, you reach it, you know? So unless it's like you're selling toilet paper or something, in which case you're always going to have people buying that. Let's talk about sales funnels because a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are at different stages in their business some are you know way ahead and they might know what a sales funnel is but we've also got some people who listen who are right at the beginning perhaps might not know exactly how a sales funnel works or exactly what it is so just explain exactly what a sales funnel is yeah and i think it can mean a bunch of different things which is why a lot of people are confused to me what a sales funnel is is something that nurtures and uh, well first it generates leads it nurtures them and then it converts them to whatever the key trigger point is before they buy something. And then you have your sales call or whatever, and, and you sign them up. So um, that could be something like a lead magnet that leads to um, that that's aligned with your big offer. And they, they do the lead magnet, they get a quick win, you follow up, you invite them to a call, you have them watch, or it could be a webinar and they watch the webinar and they do the workbook and then you invite them to a call and they already are familiar with what you do because they watch the webinar. Um, and then you sell your coaching package. So it, it can be email funnel. Um, and that's typically how most people do it. And then you can also have things like downsells if they don't sign up for the call or, um, 
things like that involved. Oh, okay. So just explain how downsells work. So let's just say, for instance, you host a webinar or you host uh, you know, some sort of uh, event uh, where people come and learn a little bit about what you do or learn about the offer that you've got going on. This is for the people who are sitting on the fence and maybe don't think that this is for them. So you have something else to offer them, something ready to go? Yeah. So for example, if I have a, I have a masterclass and then I have a follow-up and then I do my sales call, and maybe they didn't book the sales call. Maybe it's two weeks later. And maybe I have a $27 course or a $97 membership, which is not high ticket. And I send them information about that and the sales page for that. And maybe they sign up in that. So that's what I mean by downsell. Same thing with a webinar. If you are doing a webinar and you pitch your big offer and, um, you know, you say, but, you know, that's not a work, that's not going to work for you. And you want to remove the friction and you're more interested in just you know, getting more signups, you could say we have a trial month or we have a one month option and it's this, this amount. So, um, that's kind of how a downsell would work. Okay. So what about quantity? So if you're, if you've got one package or one offer, how many sales funnels would you have for that one offer? One multiple different ways of doing it, like email marketing and a webinar and maybe doing uh, some sort of live thing on Instagram or Facebook or just maybe just focus on one? Well, it starts with one and I would refine and master and like get your conversion numbers and rock and send a ton of leads to one first. And then you can add other things or repurpose certain parts or whatever. Like you also have to think about your audience. So if they are email people, great. But if they, maybe they need text, maybe they need text messages or something like that. So to me, I'm, I would much rather have my clients determine a goal with their funnel. So it's like, I want this funnel within the next six months to generate X dollars and X clients. Okay. And then we work backwards from there. How many people would need to probably see it if your conversion rate is X, Y, Z? And how are we going to send that traffic? And what needs fine tuning? And which parts are they dropping off? And, you know, refining rather than doing 12 different lead magnets at once that you're just like all over the place. Yeah, and you touched on uh, you've touched on this a few times and I think it's something that's so important that people tend to skip because they think it's going to be so much hard work and it is hard work but it's valuable is understanding your audience. And you do that for marketing, you do that for well anything, even if you're yeah, I don't know, you're putting out a record or a CD or something. It's it's all about marketing. You've got to understand how your audience, who your audience are and what kind of audience is going to go out and buy your CD or your uh, or your album before you um before you even start singing or start playing an instrument. And it's exactly the same with with lead funnels, isn't it? Sales funnels rather, because uh, if the more you know about how your audience behaves and what they like doing, then you're better placed to put that sales funnel, you know, offer the sales funnel in the right place, I guess. I completely agree. And I've seen this so many times firsthand where people just assume what people want and they'll go create something like, and even in the beginning of my business journey, I wrote this like 250 page ebook that I thought was so awesome. And I was like, oh my God, this thing is going to be... <laughs> That's a lot of work. How long did that take? Uh-huh. It took me a whole summer. I mean, it was so stupid. And I, I got it designed. I did all the things. Oh no, so it cost you money too. Oh yeah. I, I sold one copy. I did not, not even break even. <laughs> and I'm like, why did I do this? Nobody wants this topic. Nobody wants this. 
Um, so I will never do that again. I will always let my audience tell me what they want and go create it rather than the other way around. And it's the same thing like when I sing in a, I sing in a wedding band and I sing in a cover band. When we have an audience, like last night, actually this week we had a gig and I don't control the set list fully, but um, I just show up and sing what's on there. So the audience was a little older and you have to be willing to adapt. So they probably would have liked some of our like 80s and, you know, Motown and not like our, you know, bad guy by Billie Eilish and stuff. So sure. you, know, you got to be up for <laughs> seeing the crowd, understanding the crowd and adapting accordingly. accordingly. Um, and if it's the wrong crowd, meaning like if you don't want to market to those people, that's one thing. Find a different audience and learn from them. But at the same time, just don't assume anything. So let's say we've gone down this route. You've put together a, a, a product or a package. You've thought about how you want to invite people in your door. So that's your, your sales funnel. And then you get to that point, that icky point, Haley. you start thinking about money. So what happens next? Are you led by them or do you drive the conversation in a certain way? How, how, does, how does that work? There's a couple things. The main points of a sales call is to number one, understand someone's problem and listen to what they have to say about what they find valuable, what they need, what they've tried, etc. Okay. The second thing is to figure out where they are compared to where they want to be. And then you want to find out how important is this to them? And then being able to communicate or customize your offer in a way that meets their needs and then make the offer or not, if it's not a fit, because everybody has a phase they go through when they're going to buy something. They have the first phase, which is maybe they're not even, they, they know they have a problem, but they're not really looking for a solution. They're comfortable. They're not really willing to sacrifice anything for that problem. Then there's the phase of, okay, they have the problem. They're starting to kind of research. They're starting to maybe follow some accounts that can help them with the problem. They're maybe Googling a couple things, but they're still not ready to just like jump in with both feet. And then you have the people who they've researched it. They have some options about what they're going to buy. They're ready, you know, and they, they really want to solve the problem. So you have to kind of get a feel for where somebody is at and make the appropriate offer for them or no offer if it's not appropriate. You, you mentioned a couple of times something really important, which is listening. Uh, in fact, there are quite a lot of communication skills that are very important to have if you want to close a sale, aren't there? Uh, even down to yeah, reading people's body language if you're in a position to be able to do that. I would say it's important to um, listen and, and don't be afraid. This is the biggest thing I see is, is people, the salespeople or the coaches are afraid to lean into and ask someone to bring up their objections. It's almost like they're trying to avoid it or wait till the end or whatever, where I think instead you want to talk about the objections. You want to talk about their concerns. You want to talk about their excuses as soon as possible. And that that's like a huge thing to not avoid. So if you hear any hesitation or you hear them bringing up, well, but I could never do that or, whatever, like inquire, <laughs> ask why, ask what is possible, ask what can you do, like pay attention to those subtle things of, uh, I guess, red flags, red flags, like if they're bringing up price or if they're bringing up, uh, you know, I would need to ask my husband, okay, 
talk about that. Don't just be like, okay, bye-bye. We'll talk soon. Excellent. Oh, you've given us so much valuable stuff and I really appreciate that. Uh, you're obviously very, very passionate and love what you do. You can hear that straight away because you've just got so much valuable stuff to uh, uh, to share. Now, before we go, uh, there's one thing that we do uh, at the end of every podcast is ask a set of questions. It's just for fun. Based around the TV show that uh, was huge in the US uh, called Inside the Actors Studio. You aware of this? Love it. Awesome. So question number one. Hayley, what's your favorite smell? My favorite smell would have to be lavender or fresh air. Oh, fresh air. That's a great answer. <laughs> but that kind of smells different for different people, doesn't it? I mean, you're, you're on the outskirts of Chicago, right? Well, I'm in the suburbs, so. Okay, so. Pretty fresh. It's, it smells okay. Yeah. Okay, so can you describe how fresh air smells? I'm just curious. Uh, it smells like <laughs> grass and trees <laughs> and maybe a hint of flowers in there. So it smells of nature. Yes nature do you have a favorite album or a favorite artist i i would say that as far as an artist as a whole when it comes to her performances and her tours i would definitely go with madonna music wise i like some of her music um you know i don't it's that's not what it's truly about for me i, I think she's just a fantastic performer and cutting edge and have you seen her live by the way i have i got yeah. to see the MDNA tour with my sister and we had, I was like out of body. I almost, I watch all her tours on DVD. Uh-huh. And when I was there live, I think I was just like not in my own body. So I feel like I didn't really absorb it. <laughs> um, who's the most famous person you've met, Haley? Well, I met Nicole Ritchie and I met Lauren Holly from Dumb and Dumber. And I've, uh, let's see. Yeah, I actually babysat Lauren Holly's kids. Or You did what? Sorry, stop now. What that? What was well, that? I was a mother's helper for Lauren right. Holly. Wow, that's pretty good. How long were you doing that for? Oh, a summer. <laughs> oh, you know, you know, yeah, I just hung out with her. You know, it was just a thing, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> well, she had like her movie posters in the basement signed. It was, it was pretty cool. Final question then. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? That's a great question. It is an I awesome have question. No idea. Um, I just, I think I would just hope I would get a like, you know, good job and and you did good type of thing. I don't know. Thank you very much for giving us so much information. Uh, and I know we have a page on our website for every episode. And uh, we'll uh, we'll share some links on that page so people can come out and uh, uh, get some of your blog content, maybe on some of the things we've uh, spoken about today. And uh, yeah, just share some social media links with us, Haley, so people can come find you. Yep. So I'm at the Health Coach Nation podcast and the Health Coach Nation Facebook group, and also um, on Instagram at Haley H A I L E Y underscore row R O W E. And then I have my free niche marketing and Instagram bio checklist available at HaleyRowe.com, H-A-I-L-E-Y, Rowe, R-O-W-E.com. This is the Big Little Business Show, the podcast with bigger tips for small business. I took a lot of information from that, Paul. I've made so many notes. Yeah, she was really good. She packed a lot of information in there as well, didn't she? She told us an awful lot from right from the very beginning, from the whole how to set up a, a sales uh, flow and how to set up your products online, right the way through to closing the sale. There was a lot of stuff in there. There was, and listening to the uh, her talking about the journey of taking your clients, you know, taking your clients through a journey. Sorry, um, and listening to what they're saying, but also as well putting some 
timings on your sales as well. So especially when she was talking about um, you can charge X amount, but if they don't actually join up by a certain date, the price then increases. Yeah, and she also talked about a fallback offer, which I thought was really interesting. So if the lead generation doesn't quite hit the mark or they're not ready to commit, then you've got that fallback option that you can offer them and say, well, yeah, if this isn't right for you at the moment, how about trying this? So she's covering all angles before she's even started. So she's got an answer for everything. And I think that's really good. Interesting talking about comparing yourself to other people within the same industry yeah. and where to position your price point, that as well. Yeah, so really useful stuff. Uh, go and check her out on social media. And uh, she's a great singer as well. She sings in a, an events band. I think she mentioned that in the interview. So every week we like to finish off the show by bigging up someone who's been following us on social media or has been sharing our stuff or we've just noticed that needs a little bit of a big up. So who are we bigging up this week? I would like to big up this week Chase Bags. Wait, is that the name of the company or the name of the person? That's the name of the person. That's a cool name, isn't it? Isn't it just? What, is, what does Chase Bags do? So they are a food consulting company. Um, they are culinary innovators. Oh, well done. Yes, I said it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a proper mouthful, isn't it? Culinary innovators. Yeah. Well, you really, you really have to think about saying that. I really have to concentrate to say that. So, uh, yes, they're... Uh, Really, their company vision is all about flavours and creating new flavours. Oh, I'm checking them out. Are they culinary innovators on Instagram? They are, yes. All right, it's going to look... Have a look at some of the food, yeah. Oh, hello. My word, there's so much colour there. Culinary colour. Oh, so I'm getting good now. (laughs) Oh, this is fantastic. There's some really lovely pictures. Uh, And that cake looks amazing, that chocolate cake. They believe it's all about the flavour. Yeah, Um, and as far as I'm concerned, it's all about the visual as well. Some of their stuff looks fantastic. Hired a culinary innovators and Chase Bags. He really needs to start making bags too, doesn't he? (laughs) Making bags. I'm not sure what he'd say about that. He he is his own brand name. He is, indeed. So where can we find him again? Uh, Instagram. 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 I've been listening. (laughs) Instagram. (laughs) That's a new one. Chase Bags Culinary Innovators or Charlie Bags, which is B-A-G-G-S, Inc. INC.com. So that pretty much wraps it up. Don't forget to come and find us on social media. You can get us on Instagram at Big Little Business Show, on Facebook.com slash Big Little Business Show. And whatever platform you're listening to us on, don't forget to subscribe. That'll be great. So you get next week's episode directly into your phone device. And don't forget to leave us a review as well, because that bigs us up in podcast land and makes us more discoverable. More discoverable. Wow, that's not easy to say. Let me rewind and do that slowly. That makes us more discoverable in different countries and different locations and with more people so that's fantastic anyway that's us done till next week say goodbye claire bye you've been listening to the big little business show with paul mumfords and claire horsley you can subscribe to get the latest episodes via itunes spotify tune in and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts Come and find us at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and we're on Facebook too. Just search for Big Little Business Show. The Big Little Business Show is a PM2 Media and Excel Networking production. I've got to say, my tongue hurts (laughs) saying that word. (laughs) It does. It really does. Do it again. No way, I'm not doing that because, no, I've got tongue strain.